Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is a Monday, June 5th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or listening through the archives. As we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered, these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, It will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage the use of these tools. Secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of that to share with us, we'd appreciate it if you do that. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. And or send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. If you email us, we will try to address your comment or question on the Internet show, and then as time allows... send you a notice about what day and time that was addressed so you can listen back to the archive for the feedback. And we appreciate when anybody does that, whether they're calling or emailing, because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And if you would let us know how we can be of service, it's easier for us to do that. So, what's on your mind? How can we support you? How has your weekend been? I, I I had the occasion over this past weekend to listen back to several of the shows from last week that I did not make the time to listen back to during the week. And I was struck by the overview and summary that came out of me on Wednesday the 31st, May 31st. And so I I had somebody that was asking for an introduction to the work, and I chose to edit that file to just the first hour and put it on the Internet on MindShiftersAcademy.org on the Best of Audio Files page. And so... If you're looking for a way to introduce this work to somebody, if you're trying to spread the word about what's working for you, that might be worth your, your effort to um, to send them the link to that file. If you go to the Best Of Audio File page on the website, mindshiftersacademy.org, and... Um, the top file on that page is the um, what I'm considering a highlight show from May 31st, Wednesday, May 31st. And it just happened that way. It wasn't planned. It was um, probably sparked by my having interviewed Sandy Wilder that day and um, the flow of the reading from A Walk in the Physical by Kristen Sundberg and the work I'd been doing with My Big Toe which is a book by by this other guy (laughs) Thomas Campbell Thomas W. Campbell so sparked by all of that uh, in, in a flowing synergy, um, I recommend that as a, a file that you can send to people as an overview of this work or an intro to this work. I think it's on a par with the uh, overview that of the file from December 30th, 2015, which for years has been the one overview summary Internet show that I would recommend to people. And so now we have another one. 
So how can we support you? What's on your mind? What what would it take to have you or someone you know join us at, on a support group on a Tuesday or Thursday? What is the the most useful thing we can do in spending this hour? 610, believe it's Susan. Hi, Dr. Tim. Is it okay to talk about the Glennon Doyle and Amanda Gibson talk? I know. Hey, Andrea Gibson? Is. Yes. Oh, Andrea, sorry. Yeah, uh, I just was blown totally away on many levels by that talk because in a way she was living because of the crisis in Amanda's life. Andrea, which one is it? I'm sorry, I can't remember. Conflated their names. Uh, Amanda. Um, No, it's Andrea Gibson. Oh, it's Andrea. I even wrote it down. Andrea Gibson. Okay, got it. And Glennon Doyle and her wife, Abby, and Glennon's sister run the podcast. Those three women run the podcast. And Andrea Gibson is a spoken word artist and poet. And when Mm. Glennon Doyle was having a crisis in her newest therapy and feeling like we aren't talking about anything serious, her world-renowned eating disorders doctor took a breath and paused and said, I want you to get a hold of Andrea Gibson's poetry. And Glennon Doyle thought, now I'm completely screwed. My doctor has Uh run out of anything useful to to do for me, and she's sending me to, to a poet. And so, but her gut also told her, get everything Andrea Gibson ever wrote, and so she did. And as she started to read it, she was just blown away by how real, Mm -hmm. how rounded, how not shying away from any issue Andrea was. And so they reached out to her to see if she would be on the podcast. And it just so happened that Andrea had just gotten the news that her cancer had come back. And so she said to them, I'll be on the podcast only if you understand I'm going to be talking about how the cancer has come back. I can't I can't be authentic and not mention this major thing in my life. And of course, these two very genuine, open, honest women said, "Absolutely. We we'll, we'd be happy to have you." And so that's the podcast. It's absolutely free. It's why there's no problem talking about it here. We're not selling anything from anybody else. You can go to We Can Do Hard Things wherever you get your podcast. Their podcast is titled We Can Do Hard Things. And if you search for that and look for Andrea Gibson, you can listen to it to your heart's content. So go ahead, Mm. Susan. What did you want to say about it? Well, What was it that was blowing you away? First of all, that well, there are so many things at the top of the list, but she says that everything, no matter what it is, everything that comes to us is love, is is a kind of love, or it's it's the world loving us or God loving us. And she also said that when she got her diagnosis, and it was a grim one, it looked as if she wasn't going to come out of this alive, although you never lose hope, 
But she said, you have no idea how you are going to react to your own death until you, it comes up to you face-to-face. That struck me. That you, you can get comfortable with the idea of death. You can stop being afraid of the idea of death. But until you get that word where this might be your exit ticket, you have no idea. And her experience, before she went on the portal, she said her heart was racing and she was having a panic attack. But as soon as she read on the medical portal that it had come back into her liver and there probably wouldn't be much they could do about it, she said she experienced this complete calm. Even though there were a lot of thoughts and so forth, she was she went into a different state. And I have heard about this, particularly with cancer patients, that something comes over them where they are not suffering as much as we might think they might. They have a kind of joy or lightness or hopefulness in spite of what we would say is the grimness of a diagnosis like that. That really was an amazing thing for them to say. Well, one thing I would point out to you is that also in that interview, Andrea Gibson talked about how she spent years in her life as a, a worry, a worryholic, as as a hypochondriac, right. as a a person who avoided this and that and the other thing because of her worry. And yeah, so that is something that she said in the interview that when she got her first cancer diagnosis. What she was amazed at is how it freed her from worry and how she realized she'd spent her whole life thinking that if she ever got bad news like this, because as a hypochondriac, as somebody who worries all the time and thinks it's a good thing to worry, she was always worrying about what if I have brain cancer, what if this is, you know, um, a chronic illness, what if, you know, and and she said she had Lyme disease before, neurological Lyme disease, and and she thought, oh, my God, what if I never recover, et cetera. From that mindset, for decades in her life, when she got her first diagnosis of cancer, she realized she was nowhere near as negatively impacted as she always thought she was. She put herself through decades of torture over something that never happened even when it happened. Something she thought was going to happen, and it never happened even when the actuality in her life did happen. Yeah, she said the worrying was much worse than getting the news. But I had a question about that. She says she was a hypochondriac. So I wondered, did she draw? can't answer this. But it occurred to me that all of her preoccupation with possible illnesses might have been the thing that drew a, a real illness to herself. Well, perhaps. But it's just life anyway. Right? Yeah, uh, unless no you're somebody like that. Dr. Michael Rice who thinks we're supposed to be immortal, it, we're all going to go somehow anyway. And, and it's not so much 
important from that perspective about what I have or what I don't have in my physical aches and pains or limitations, what's critically important is what am I choosing to do with my mind energy if and when that does happen? Right. Do I torture myself over it or do I learn to focus on the things that I can have gratitude for? Because as I forget who said it, but somebody that I was reading said, I, I can't be happy about everything that happens in my life and yet I can always find something to have gratitude for. Mm-hmm. I can't be grateful for everything, but I can always find something to have gratitude for. Mm-hmm. That's I remember you. The question. I remember you. You say. Go ahead. Start again, and I won't interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's harder. You can't see faces, so you don't know when somebody opens their mouth and going to speak. Um, Years ago, when I broke my wrist falling on black ice, Michael said, you drew that to yourself somehow. Of course, that can be taken in a very unhelpful way, which means, oh, my God, I, I it's all my fault. somehow. It's all my fault, <laughs> yeah. But that thought crossed my mind when she said that. I said, oh, well, there you go. You've been preparing for this, so where you get it? I mean, I'm wondering about it. I'm not saying I know anything. I don't know anything about this, but, yeah. So what you were you saying? What I do with my mind energy is more important than what. Yeah. It, it's in the bottom line observations. What happens to me and around me in my life is nowhere near as important as how I choose to interpret and respond to those events. Yeah. Well, I just appreciated that. And I I do think it's a podcast, really, really wonderful podcast worth listening to. Well, I've listened four or five times. I've lost track. But there are so many layers yeah. And and then and then to be introduced to Andrea Gibson's poetry, which I hadn't before, so I've I've, I've actually I have a patient that that I'm working with who's going through some of the most turbulent, intense life events that any of us can can go through, and um, I, I end up sending her links to two of. Uh, Andrea Gibson's spoken word poems right. through YouTube because they're, they're, they were just so relevant. And mm-hmm. I got I got one of her books on. Uh, I, I actually read one the other day on the internet show, only because I, I don't have a way to to play the audio, which would be you know much much better. She's an artist. And her reading yeah. her own work is, you know, far superior to someone interpreting it. Yeah. But I got the audio book of her, um, You Better Be Lightning. Mm. And um, if I didn't know, that's great. They're available. And the um, the Better Be Lightning book... Um, 
I think the first piece in it is the um, acceptance speech after winning the award for the most goosebumps ever. <laughs> and I, 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 I think I, I read that on the show after talking about how most of us live our lives afraid to let ourselves feel uh-huh. deep joy. Yeah. That's another whole it's topic. In, yeah, and it's in Way of Mastery. It's in Course in Miracles. Marianne Williamson is famous for talking about how, you know, we're not really afraid of our um, our, our darkness. We're afraid of our light. We're mm. afraid of shining too brightly, et cetera. So there are many layers in that podcast. They've they've had several different episodes of that podcast that I have sent to different patients that I work with because it's mm-hmm. you know they they're talking about relationship, they're talking about therapy and progress in therapy, they're talking about eating disorders, they're talking about addictions, they're talking about being truthful at deeper and deeper levels. They're talking about um, complex relationship issues that are really, really good for any of us who want to get a different perspective or move ourselves to a healthier space for us to hear about. Mm. Does Glenn and One Doyle... Of them. Oh. Go ahead. Does Glenn and Doyle but, always... Uh, is she always on that, or is it just her sister who gets other speakers? No, this is this is Glennon and her sister and Abby. Abby, yeah, okay. Abby is Glennon's life partner, wife, and so originally when they first started it, it was Glennon and her sister, and they sucked Abby in. Abby is not naturally the extroverted type for that kind of thing. So, but it is pretty standard for all three of them to be on the on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Now in this in this most recent one, I'm not sure that I heard Glennon's sister on the podcast, but maybe she was there. Well, she she moderates in fact, that was one of the problems. I listened twice, and sometimes I didn't know who was speaking. I know Abby's voice, but the other women's voices were similar enough. Similar enough. Andrea's was more distinctive, but the sisters, I sometimes couldn't tell who was talking. So did you have another question that I'm missing? No, uh, not okay. about that. I just wanted to say I got the the audible book of the Schwartz, you are the person you're looking for or whatever the title is. Boy, is that good. That's really just another great recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I'm glad to hear that from you. Of course, there's some, uh, some bias there because you have some training as a therapist, et cetera. I'm looking for feedback from people that don't have any training as a therapist you know, like like when I, when I say the the episode um, 
from this show, the first hour of last Wednesday, May 31st, was mm-hmm. for me a, a great highlight show. That's because it's me, right? I'm, I'm looking for some people who don't know that much about this work or this Internet yeah. show to hear that and, and let us know, do you think that's a good intro, a good way to mm-hmm. introduce this work to people? Because to me, it sounds you know, like a, a wonderful overview and it all holds together. But I don't know, maybe to somebody who hasn't been exposed to this work before, it wouldn't make that much sense. Yeah, I missed that show, so I'll listen to it. Um, I, I, I singled it out and put it on the MindShiftersAcademy.org website on right. the Best of Audio Files page at the top of the page. Right. So, so I could were, easily send saying. it to somebody that I was introducing the work to. Mm-hmm. The thing about the Schwartz book blew me away is even this happened even with my daughter when she married this man that I introduced her to who turned out as soon as he got her, got in quotes, he got her to himself, he tried his best to isolate her from her family. And he had the worst opinions of Tim and me, particularly me. His issue is mainly with mothers, his mother and women. Um, And so for the next 25 years, he... He had said to his, my daughter, his wife, he said, I told you, you couldn't trust that bitch. He said that about me within my earshot. And I thought, that's it. That's how he feels, period. Schwartz says we have compartments. And all of a sudden it occurs to me that my son-in-law, ex-son-in-law now, probably had a lot of different feelings too, but I took that as the bottom line, absolute truth about how he really feels, period. And I couldn't really do all that much with my thoughts about him except to say he's not well and practice forgiveness and do my worksheets. But to have Schwartz say, we have compartments, and if you wish your wife would die or, you know, you want to be free from her or something, that's not all... That's not the whole truth. That should be pretty easy to understand, and most people probably already know that, but I didn't really know that until I heard this part of the book. Well, many people don't know that. We are not taught that. As a matter of fact, from our wounded perspective, when we hear something like that, our wounded perspective says, okay, run away from this person. You just heard the truth and it's never going to change, and it's dangerous to be around them. Rather than recognizing yep. that any time something negative like that comes out of another person, it's a very clear indication that that person is in pain, fear, or sadness that they do not know how to deal with. It's not the truth mm-hmm. about you. It's not the whole truth about how they feel about you or anyone else. It's their pain talking. And yeah. As we know with human beings, we have very complex levels of thought, of memory, of intelligence, of personality, and and it's never as simple as one simple motivation or one simple perspective. And he Mm -hmm. speaks about that 
I think, quite eloquently and powerfully, um, and that's why I recommend the book. Oh, I love it, how he gives examples. Whenever he makes a statement, then he'll show a couple that did this or said that. So it's very easy to listen to uh, and easy to get things from it. Oh, I had another question about the Glennon Doyle and Andrea Gibson thing. I know I'm jumping around, but she mentioned that she, for 17 years she hasn't been able to sleep without listening to some kind of podcast or TV or something. I wonder how her wife feels about that or whether she sticks earplugs in or something, earphones. But here she's saying she feels such joy, and I believe her, but I then I wonder, what's that sleep business about? That's just a floating question, but I don't know if it's answerable. But it seems well, to me you, an indication because of you, trouble. Well, but that's because you want to label your sleep issues as trouble. Yeah, sure do. I don't have any answer for you. I don't know. I I, I know there are people that want to label that as a big, bad problem, and they'll sell you things for it, sleep apnea machines and drugs and devices, and, and I don't know the truth of it. Mm-hmm. I do know that historically when I've read research about sleep and sleep issues, um, a lot of it can be emotional, and if and when people find a nice uh, release for that emotional material, they they sleep better. But I've also run into a lot of people who are very solid, very happy, very relatively well-adjusted, and they've just always had light sleep. Yeah. Or unusual sleep patterns. Mm-hmm. That's true. So I, I can't really jump in and say that's a problem. Yeah. We have somebody Our else with their door. hand up. Are you willing to oh, okay. take that? Sure. Yeah, All go right. ahead. Here is the... 760, I believe it might be Anne. Yes, yes. Just wanted to join in. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Um, Hi. The, when you mentioned, I looked up my notes because I'd made some notes when you were reading. I, I listened to the archives because I'm dog-sitting my grand dogs here in South Carolina, um, which is fascinating time here. Anyway, um I wrote down my notes to listen to the archives to go back and listen again to when you read that, Dr. Tim, because I thought that was, you did really well, I thought. <laughs> and um, the acceptable, I'm talking about, Susan, acceptable, the acceptance speech after getting the world record in goosebumps. It just, I don't know, it, it was just delightful. Um, I'm not a fan, I have not been a fan of prose, I've been more the rhyming kind of poetry, probably as I, I'm guessing because I taught kindergarten and I just, well, you know, we taught rhyming more than the prose. They got that in what, first, second, third grade, somewhere in there. Um, but it, I, yeah, it, it was great. 
It was great. I loved it. And and the whole goosebump thing, I mean, I can relate to, right? This is the goosebump thing, but but how she just went through all the different things. Anyway, that was delightful, so I just wanted to say that and encourage Susan to listen to it. The other one that uh, that I sent to a patient in conjunction with that, I believe, is called Tincture. And you can look it up on YouTube. Um, it's okay. basically the idea that um, could it be, is it possible that when the soul, um, when the body dies, the soul misses everything about being in the physical, misses a pinched finger in a door jam, misses a headache, misses anger, misses the grief, misses the ability to sweat on a hot day, misses tossing and turning at night because you can't feel any of that without a body. And, of, of course, with her skill as an artist, she paints the picture beyond words. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I guess that's what I liked about the acceptance speech because, yeah, you could just visualize that. Which reminds me of James Minchner just triggered that right there because I, when I was younger, I read his books and I just thought he did a great job of painting the picture of whatever he was writing about. Um, anyway, this is what happens. It's quite fascinating, right, where the brain just, Triggers and triggers on any on any given word <laughs> takes you takes you somewhere else for an instant. Anyway, I'm good. Just wanted to share. Thanks. You're very welcome. Thanks for that uh, call and reminding me about uh, the tincture poem. I mean, just think about that. <laughs> what if? Um, what if? When I drop the body, my soul misses everything, not just the joyful stuff, but the being caught out in the rain on a cold, blustery day because the soul can't feel any of that. That would be great for somebody that thinks they need to end their life here. Look at all the things you're going to miss. <laughs> Well, anyway. Yeah, well, she, she basically has a following of young people who have been so depressed that they've considered ending their lives, and that's part, oh, of, wow. what, part of what she talks about in that interview is that she, she does have some concern about even if, you know, if, if she doesn't live long because of the cancer diagnosis, she has this greater concern for what about all these young people that use her as a, a resource and a, and a lifeline. Hmm. Awesome. Anyway, I, I appreciate all the like um, things that I never would have thought of doing um, like out of the box from the way I was raised, right? And so, and it wasn't Catholic, but still <laughs> congregational church. But um, it was, you know, a break off from Lutheranism probably at some point. Um, 
and I and I still go to a denominational church. However, um, Michael Rice and then you know the radio show and you have just opened my eyes that it doesn't have to be in this box. And look at okay, so what just just what you're saying? Look at all the things you would miss if you don't explore this or explore that. And I'm grateful then, I can say now, I'm grateful for my curiosity that I've always had as a little child. My mom would remind, um, tell stories about getting down on the ground and talking to a little baby chick on um, the parents' farms or relatives' farms. Anyway, <laughs> but I've always had that, but I didn't believe it. It was, you know, a creative part or whatever of me now. Um, years later, so I'm grateful for this time and this, yeah, this season of life. Anyway, I thank you, thank you, thank you, and Susan for the stimulating mm. conversation. <laughs> anyway, thanks. Blessings, guys. You're very welcome and deserving. Blessings. I'll mute you so you can listen in. Yeah. Area code 828, I believe this could be Magda, is that you? Yes, it is me. <laughs> and um, hi to Ann and Susan, as well as you, Dr. Tim. Um, I'm calling because I just heard, I think I heard, that, Susan, you are having, still having some difficulty with sleep issues. And <laughs> is, that, is that true? Is that right? It's not I, I don't make much of it. I guess I gave the wrong impression. I'm just curious. No, I do wake up in the middle of the night, but it's a wonderful hour and a half or two hours of sometimes meditating, sometimes tapping, sometimes um, listening to something. And that's when I listened to the Glennon Doyle piece in the okay. middle of the night for a couple of nights in a row and now I've started this audiobook by Schwartz and of course I'm always afraid I'm going to I put the timer on for 45 minutes and that's about um, all of a sudden I'll realize I'm not listening anymore and I wonder how much I missed that's the one danger of it in the middle of the night but my next door neighbor was a, a, a famous Yale professor and writer of uh, he wrote the biography on Alexander Pope. His name was Maynard Mack, and he, very well known in uh, English, teacher of English and professor. He was a tremendous insomniac. He would tell me how, you know, he... So I, I'm heartened by the fact that he had a long and joyful life, but he was an insomniac. Uh-huh. So I feel as if I'm really good company here. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Me too. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I've had, I've had sleep issues, waking up in the middle of the night, sometimes not being able to go to sleep easily. And I'm wondering, did, have you ever tried tapping for for the sleep uh, concern? No, I I usually tap on whatever I wake up thinking about. Uh, uh-huh. I don't about not being able to sleep. Anxiety about not being able to sleep is an issue I've 
I don't yes. have any more knock on wood. I just say, okay. oh, here I am again. And so I get juicy, nice, middle of the night. Nobody's talking. It's yeah. a very pleasant thing. Yes, yeah, I've, I've done that Which, which as well. was not always the case. Right. Not always the case, no. But I found yeah. out that during the day after a night of, I got this watch. It's one of those Fitbit type of things. I got it as a prize for filling out a survey, and I wore it one night, and it said in the morning, and it was a bad night. It said I had slept for an uh, an hour and a half with 15 minutes of deep sleep, and I thought, the hell with this watch. <laughs> I'm not going to wear it anymore. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't well, want to know. <laughs> um, I, I agree with you that that time can be incredibly valuable. Uh, I've used it for doing worksheets and so forth. However, like yourself, I found that sometimes I would get very tired and fall asleep doing the worksheets. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I just I I realized that I've never had um, applied the tapping to my issues around sleep. And so I decided, oh, maybe a month or two months ago that I would give that a go. And I've been very, very pleased. Um, and as long as I spend about, I would say, 20 to 30 seconds, maybe a whole minute, every evening while I'm, when I'm getting ready for bed, just sit down and do a little minimal tapping, and I don't even go through the whole repertoire of all the points on the face and the body. I just uh, tap on, on the edge of the palm of one of my hands, uh, as you do when you start the process. Um, and, uh, of course, I started out with a longer version. Now I just use the side of the hand. And if I address it and I reinforce for myself that I choose that when I put my head on the pillow, I will fall asleep easily and quickly and stay asleep all night. Wow. What a difference that makes. It is. Mm. Um, yes, absolutely. It was very much of a surprise for me that I, first of all, that I never thought of doing it, applying it to that, that issue. And, and unlike yourself, I would have worry about whether or not I was going to sleep because I'd gone through so many nights of, you know, having to get up and down, back and forth and all that and trying to figure out what's the best thing to do. Should I have some sleepy time tea right now? You know, all of that. And so the worry itself is something that I address in the tapping. And, man, it's just been an amazing um, process. And... And worry has, worry in general, has been one of my major. What do you call it? Discomfort, uncomfortable feelings. <laughs> but it's been favorite, favorite miserable, favorite there miserable feeling. Yep, yep. And so, what I found out is that I don't really worry during the day, because I distract myself with everything else that's going on, and I'm having a great day, and you know it's all fine. However, when, when nothing is distracting me, oh, my goodness, here comes the worry. And, you know, it, because our minds are active even when we're sleeping. So um, I just wanted to share that with you. And if you're at all interested, 
I could step you through that process on the phone sometime if you wanted. And you're very creative, so you probably don't need that. Well, I've watched, um, uh, can't remember Radiate. his name now, but yes, right. And so I do use it. Uh-huh. And I know it about the side of the hand starting that way. I usually just got my hands down on the tops of my legs and I just tap on my thighs. That's about it at night. I just do that and I don't do anything fancy. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's a great idea. I never thought of using it before bed and sort of self-hypnosis. Yes. I usually yes. conk out pretty fast at night. And okay. wake up about four hours later, two to four hours later for a couple of hours, and then go back to sleep. It's, you know, if you go to bed well, early enough, you'll end up with enough hours. <laughs> right. And you may enjoy that time, that quiet time, so very much that you mm-hmm. want to continue that. But that can be a choice. I guess that's what I'm so surprised at. That's nice. It can actually be my choice. Um, And and when I first started using it, I wanted to call the show right away and say, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, this worked for me. Maybe it'll work for other people. And and I thought, no, let's wait and see what happens in the long term. And it's been very successful for me. The, The important thing, of course, is remembering to address my mind just for that little bit, 30 seconds every evening. Uh, mm. I find that if I if I don't do that, um, and that maybe that's because it takes such a long, long time to um, read or develop a new habit. I'm not sure. However, it's it's a certainly 30 seconds worth it for me. You know, I I think yeah, it's it incredibly valuable. Yep. So that's it. That's what I wanted to mm. share. Well, and the other Thank thing to, uh, to to add to that is Michael Rice's uh, Mind Goal Management Sheet, and most people don't want to take the time yeah. to do the whole Mind Goal Management Sheet, and yet <laughs> there's a piece of it that you can do where you just, and you can combine it with the EFT tapping. I recommend this to m- numerous patients. Do a round of tapping where you say, I cancel any unachieved goal, and I ask to be shown how to have a restful night's sleep. And um, oh. and and with the goal canceling and the EFT tapping in combination, many people find uh, big big benefits. Mm. That is great. Thank you for that suggestion. That's that's wonderful because there are many nights when I forget to actually cancel. Um, so yeah, the great. unachieved goal. Um, I will implement that as well. Thank you. All right, anything else from you, Magda? No, I am complete. And oh right. by the way, I just I loved everything that you had on last week. It was great. Um oh. thank you so much. Good choice. You're very welcome and deserving. Thank <laughs> you. I'll mute you and turn on the microphone for our next person, area code five two zero. You're in the air. Is Hi, Audrey? this is Audrey. Yes. Welcome. Hi. Um, I just wanted to um, talk about trust versus mistrust. 
oftentimes I get this these knowing intuition and then the ego thought system comes in and I go from trust to mistrust. But aren't we a field of energy well a soul, a field of energy operating within a field and truth is all around us, for we are that absolute trust of source energy. And is is that real or just my perception of it? That trust. Well, if if it is if, if it is your perception of it, then work with that to get the best possible outcome. I don't know what the absolute truth of any of this is. And the point of our work is to try and provide actual practical tools that people can use to find out that how things work for them, not follow what somebody else says. Find out your own capital T truth. And aren't so, we all operating within our own system of learning? I mean, like one teaching for another on their journey might be different in a sense than another person? Yes, and if if for no other reason, then we're going to interpret it differently. Yes. We've talked in here before about how we have the uh, support groups, especially when we used to meet in person, and we'd sit down and watch an hour of a video. The first, you know, I don't know, 10, 12 years, it was just nothing but Michael Rice videos. And then we opened it up to some other things. But we'd watch a Michael Rice, an hour of Michael Rice video, and then we'd gather around the table to discuss it. And on a regular basis, new people to the, you know, in, in the group would say, why was he so negative? And those of us in the group would just be dumbfounded because all we heard him talk about was love. How, how could that be negative? And so you know, in that respect, Every one of us is making our own interpretations of life, giving life meanings based on our past history. So, yeah, everybody's going to have their own learning, even if they're sitting and listening to the same teacher. Thank you. And when they, if we're in an energetic, we're all energy in motion, I think. And when they talk about the word Adam, A-D-A-M, could it be A-T-O-M and Eve, E-V-E, part of the word electron? So aren't we all a bunch of vibrating electrons and protons and neutrons uh, going around in the field of energy and um when uh, we're ready, uh, like when the student is ready, the teacher appears, and aren't we all teachers and students for one another? Well, that's certainly one way to look at it. And the idea, certainly what you're talking about with protons, neutrons, electrons, that's certainly true about this thing we call the physical body. It's energy. There are those who would say, and we're reading all these different books that talk about how Our consciousness, our true nature, is not energy like electrons, protons, and neutrons. It 
goes beyond all of that. It was here before that, any, there was any matter, etc. The truth of it, we're just encouraging people to have access to tools so they can find their own truth. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity uh, and this format that um, you welcome people to call in. Thank you. You're very welcome and deserving. Blessings. One more person. We've got about seven minutes left. Area code 541. Is this Celinda? Yes, it is. And I would um, like to thank you for mentioning, I think you said Bob Schwartz today. Richard Schwartz. Um, Richard Schwartz. Okay, I got that. And um, what was the book he wrote or something you were talking about earlier when he was talking about us compartmentalizing and about if someone says, I wish you were dead, that they're, they're really not saying that. It's their pain coming out. And they yes, don't really wish that. That's the book, You Are the One You've Been Waiting For, by Richard C. Schwartz. The subtitle is Applying Internal Family Systems to Intimate Relationships. Great, because I had an experience yesterday, and I don't think, I don't know if I've even mentioned it on the phone, but at the end of, uh, kind of towards the end of COVID, maybe last February or something like that, um my my best friend one of my best friends from 30 35 years um was infinitely pro vaccine and i had come to a place where i thought i have no idea what really happened cuz my ego is between now and then but i really thought that i was just sharing some information that i thought she would be open to be able to hear And I was totally shocked by her response. And one of the things that came back was she said, I wish everyone or um, I hope everyone who doesn't get vaccinated dies. And I took that personally. And I realized that I did several worksheets on it and everything. And I thought, oh, it's it's gone. And then a couple of days ago, I realized, at the week at the most, I realized, you know, I'm withdrawing from her. And I need to deal with this. And I was almost going to bring up, try to bring up a responsibility communication between us, and she called. And something within me just went, let it go. And I realized during that hour and 15-minute call where we were talking with each other that it was all my stuff. It was my interpretation. It was my perception. It was my reaction. And um, I just had the one choice between love and fear. And I realized that I tend to go back to the past an awful lot. And I thought, why don't you just let it go in the good old Sedona method, you know, just drop it. (laughs) And I did. And I realized uh, today when you were talking about Richard Schwartz and the compartmentalization that – it was not, it had nothing to do with me. I realized before it was all my interpretation, but I but it just went click. It has nothing to do with me. And I'm so thankful that we've had four other callers on this show. What a fun party. So that's all I have to say. 
It is. Okay. Okay. Next time, who's who's bringing the the candles and the confetti and the and the board games? There you go. <laughs> I love it. I just love uh-huh. uh, what's happening. This interchange and this relationship that we're all building with each other. Thank you. All right. Blessings. So, Susan, we've got about three minutes left. What's uh, what's on your mind to respond to any of that or nothing? I don't really have anything. <clears throat> so. Okay. Well, then we'll say again. Good to hear from everybody chiming in. <clears throat> it's always we. I, I keep saying, you know, it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when people do us the favor of letting us know what is useful, what's resonating. So thank you to everyone who's calling. And um, I should uh, mention that we have uh, the org website, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. We also have the Mind Shifters Academy dot org website and that might be of use to somebody who wants to join us for our support group that's going to happen tomorrow night and or thursday night and those support groups are free and they run through zoom and they run from 6 30 to 9 p.m central time so we have that stuff out there and uh we'll be back uh, the rest of the days this week to do whatever. If we have four or five more callers, great. Otherwise, we will read from various books, including the Walk in the Physical by Christian Sundberg and um, and take it away from there. And I'm glad that you are experiencing your sleep pattern more gently these days, Susan. Mm. That's yeah, it's nice to know that that's holding. Yeah, thank you. There was another one uh, more recently that you you shared that you had a was it a fear of dying that just kind of yes that evaporated too, that seems evaporated it seems that's holding too it allows uh, for a lot more fun in life <laughs> to not hold that fear. I'm just curious, and also it feels like the natural order of things. Um, I think one factor is when you get older, you get a little bit pooped, and you think, I don't know if I want to do all this all for the rest of my life. And Oh, well, for the rest of my life, yes, but I don't want to do it forever. I don't want to really be dragging around a body and feeling pooped and stuff. And I'm feeling good, so it's, anyway... Thanks for asking. Uh, you're very welcome and deserving. I'm glad it's uh, it's holding because, you know, uh, there are all kinds of different ways to talk about it, but the only thing my worry does is um, buy me more time to suffer. It's just like Guy Finley says about excuses. The only thing my excuses do is buy me more time to suffer. But uh, contrary to popular opinion, my worry has never kept the plane in the air. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. It does prevent me from enjoying the flight, but it doesn't keep the right. plane in the air. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you. Our time is up, and I just see that Jeannie joined us, so I will mute you so you can listen in, and I'll remind us that we all come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Monday, June the 5th, 2023. Hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. Our call-in number is 563-999-3581 and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. Questions, because that makes this your show. And I'll start reading out of The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. We are still on the chapter called The Lucid Self, which is chapter number four. And it talked about, you know, that uh, if we don't separate from our thoughts and be the observer and the thinker apart from the thought, um, then we begin to think that we are the sum of our experiences and we are not. So... If you really want to understand the difference, and the difference he's talking about is the awareness of being independent of the inner and outer objects that you happen to be aware of. Okay, so if you really want to understand the difference, you must begin by realizing that consciousness can focus on anything. That being the case, self. When that happens, instead of being aware of your thoughts, you are aware that you are aware of your thoughts. You have turned the light of consciousness back onto itself. You're always contemplating something, but this time you're contemplating the source of consciousness. This is true meditation. True meditation is beyond the act of simple one-pointed concentration. For the deepest meditation, you must not only have the ability to focus your consciousness completely on one object, you must also have the ability to make awareness itself be that object. In the highest state, the focus of consciousness is turned back to the self. When you contemplate the nature of self, you are meditating. That is why meditation is the highest state. It is the return to the root of your being, the simple awareness of being aware. Once you become conscious of the consciousness itself, you attain a totally different state. You are now aware of who you are. You have become an awakened being. It's, let's turn my speaker down, it was making noise. It's really just the most natural thing in the world. Here I am. Here I always was. It's like, You've been on the couch watching TV, but you were so totally immersed in the show that you forgot where you were. Someone shook you, and now you're back to the awareness that you're sitting on the couch watching TV. Nothing else changed. You simply stopped projecting your sense of self onto the particular object of consciousness. You woke up. That is spirituality. That is the nature of self. That is who you are. As you pull back into the consciousness, this world ceases to be a problem. It's just something you're watching. It keeps changing, but there is no sense of that being a problem. 
The more you are willing to just let the world be something that you're aware of, the more it will let you be who you are, the awareness, the self, the atman, the soul. You realize that you're not who you thought you were. You're not even a human being. You just happen to be watching one. You will begin to have deep experiences within your own center of consciousness. These will be deep, intuitive experiences of the true nature of self. You will find that you are tremendously expansive. When you start to explore consciousness instead of form, you realize that your consciousness only appears to be small and limited because you are focusing on small and limited objects. That's exactly what happens when you're focusing solely on the TV. There's nothing else in the world. If you pull back, however, you can see the whole room, including the TV. Likewise, instead of just focusing so intently on this one human being's thoughts, emotions, and sensory world, you can pull back and see everything. You can move from the finite to the infinite. Isn't that, isn't this what we've been trying to tell us? Christ, Buddha, the great saints and sages of all time and all religions. One of those great saints, Ramana Maharshi, used to ask, who am I? We see now that this is a very deep question. Ask it ceaselessly, constantly. Ask it and you'll notice that you are the answer. There is no intellectual answer. You are the answer. Be the answer and everything will change. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here, that we get to... uh, have this playtime once again to look at these ancient teachings and how they fit into our modern day world. One of the, I think, most profound when it's understood statements that this man Yeshua ever made 2,000 years ago was, let thine eye be single and thy body will be filled with light. Now, if we talk to Modern-day physicists are going to tell us that matter is light energy reduced in its rate of vibration. Single focus on one piece of mind energy to all others brings it into literally the world of matter, into the world of light. And so as, as Michael started out with this passage that Jeannie read, we can focus on anything. And it's time for us as a species, time for us as a culture, to really start to look at what we're focusing on because there are many, many danger signals in the world that uh, the focus is becoming so split and so based in trauma and those who proclaim that love is their guide are leading many people into all kinds of crazy hostility and fear. Two reports I heard this morning, one a particular governor of a particular state in the United States said that he was looking forward to the day when, without getting into politics, his opposing party, whatever their name is, would be so rare that you'd have to hunt them with dogs. I mean, think about 
an, an actual governor of a state with millions of people is recommending the hunting of the opposing politicians with dogs. Like, how bizarre is that? And another politician of a similar persuasion today is reported said that if he gets elected, he's going to destroy a particular political persuasion, a particular group of people. And you look at how much language is being pointed in the direction of hostility and fear. And if you talk to these folks, there there are people who will tell you that they're good Christians. Now I'm going to throw a monkey wrench into that idea because one does not become an actual what the world calls Christian until their mind is converted to love. When those that heard that love was the answer but refused to do the hard work of facing themselves and healing, they created a debilitating system called churchianity. If you go back 2,000 years ago, we've said this often, and we'll say it many more times yet until until everybody gets the idea. Here's a group of people that are with this man, Yeshua. They've been with him for some time. And they ask him a question about how to behave, and he answers them. He answers them with an idiom, not a literal answer. But half of his audience... At that point, it was half of his disciples turned away, grumbling, refused to do the work that he suggested, and their grumble was too hard a saying. Too hard a saying. And by offering it, what they were saying is, I don't want to face myself. I don't want to have to heal. I just want to create a belief system about how you're going to fix it for me rather than follow your directions that I need to do the work that I need to do. So this mind cut off from love, knowing that love is the answer, spouts all kinds of wonderful things, but unconverted to a mind based in love, it continues on its violent path of fear, intimidation, and destruction. Only now does it, quote, unquote, in the name of love. Is there a much bigger oxymoron than that? Unchanged, worldly fear-based minds and family systems have groomed to their children through violence-based thinking, threats of hell and punishment and hate for those who did not participate in their brand of judgment and condemnation. Instead of the practice of love in regard to neighbor, and remember that in Aramaic, the word neighbor means anybody that you think about. That's in a language that sourced at least five of the world's major religions. And what is the practice of love toward any that is standing as a space of active present love? That's a converted mind. One that's converted from an hostility and fear-based mind to a love-based mind. Now, if you look through that text that so many in churchianity profess to believe in, called the Bible, 
several hundred times this text they profess belief in says, fear not, in, in, in many different ways, but basically says, fear not, over and over and over again. But not having practiced the basic requirement of their own faith practice, they had fear driven deeply into their own minds and bodies by authorities that failed to follow even the basic tenets of their own faith. And you remember that there was a way to get rid of love in, the, in those ancient teachings. <clears throat> and this isn't theology, this isn't church in, this is just where you live, if you want to live as a human being. What does one have to do? One has to come to the experience of that which it was said would get rid of the fear. And, and you'll notice the words they use, cast out, very much like a demon. What does it say? Perfect love will cast out fear. Until one does the work that brings them to that experience, they can't imagine anything other than attacking and destroying. So one generation to the next spews this violent rhetoric and threat, and of course it blames on God. God's going to get you hell, all of that. You're going to be condemned. And you look at 2,000 years of that guy tried, tried to get this man, Yeshua, to play the judgment game. And I'm not here to judge. I'm here to save him. And so when he refused, what did they do? Those unconverted minds turned around and said, yeah, but after you die, then you'll face his judgment, his wrath. <laughs> their own, what should I say, their own unresolved hatred and fear projected into their mind's image of the creator. So what happens is when one's raised in this violent rhetoric, the children get locked into the same neighborly violence that they were raised in. In the name of Judge Not, what does one do? Well, see, I have permission to judge here because, you see, the Bible told me so garbage. I found it interesting that um, the state of Utah in a number of school systems there, you know, there there have been this book banning thing going on. There was a video on YouTube the other day that showed a teacher who was concerned about losing her job and <clears throat> She showed large shipping boxes, and I'm talking about boxes that are like maybe five feet by five feet by five feet, like huge, like 10 of them jammed to the top with, with books. And she explained that the state had come in, guess which state, and were taking, these were books being taken off the shelves to be removed from the school. One of the books was The Life of Rosa Parks, the little lady who sat on a bus and wouldn't move. They banned her book. What's going on? It's time for a big wake-up. It's time to be woke. <laughs> because the people sleeping in this hostility and fear-based mind are about to bring tragic results upon our world. We've seen it time after time. If you look historically, you see how when this kind of rhetoric takes over,
tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of people get slaughtered. And oftentimes, so-called in the name of religion, but it's really in the name of churchianity. Religion could never call for such a thing. Actual religion. So the basic tenet is to convert one's own mind, to bring one's own mind, and that's the objective of this work. I'm up for converting every person on planet Earth. And I don't mean into my religion or anybody else's religion. I mean simply converting hostility and fear-based minds who believe that that's what will protect them into love-based minds who know that's the only way to be safe. So that's what this whole body of work is about, conversion from fear and hostility, blame, guilt, condemnation, gossip, slander, vengeance, into minds that are fueled by the fuel that we're designed for. Just hold a newborn child and tap into the essence of that newborn and you know exactly what we're here for. And tap into that newborn essence and there's no question that it is love. And it isn't that the child is loving you. If you check out when you're holding that newborn, is the child, is the newborn loving me? No, the newborn is the presence of love. Human life is the presence of love. When they asked Yeshua what's most important in law, he didn't say love your neighbor. He, in essence, said human life is the most important key. Live as the presence of love when you think of the creator, when you think of neighbor, and by so doing, you maintain your human life. It isn't religious to maintain your human life. It's having a life. Whatever you believe in, it doesn't matter whether you've ever been inside of a church or a mosque or whatever. It's irrelevant. Do you live with a human life as your created essence. Nothing to do with any kind of anything except to actually join the human race, which means allow your mind, do the work that it takes to remove the hostility and fear-based perceptions and interpretations of life and be restored to the true essence of the human being. You know, one of the passages I talk about in my book is how many times does this innocent, sweet presence of love have to be beaten into submission to finally buy into an hostility and fear-based world? Well, if you look at the number of minds that are running around doing it, it's been a lot. I referred the other day to the Hank Williams song where the melody line, the question is asked of Hank Williams, why do you drink? Why do you blow smoke? Why must you live out every song that you wrote? And the reply in the song is, you know, if you've been brought up in my condition, it's a family tradition. When do we give up the family traditions based in sadness and rage and fear and hatred and vengeance and condemnation and terrorism, terrorizing little babies about the creator who is love and projecting that vile parents 
reality structure onto the creator and telling the child that the creator has the same attributes as me, your father, or your mother, and boy, you're going to get it. It's one of the most prevalent forms of terrorism in the world. When do we wake up? When do we become woke? What is woke? Woke is standing as the, the space of active present love no longer lost in the brainwash of a culture based in hostility, fear, rage, blame, and violence. And you'll note there's a certain faction going on in our world that anything that they don't agree with is now woke and up for being destroyed. Definitely a big wake-up call. Time for each individual to step up to the plate and begin to do their work. Because that's the only way that game is going to be changed. And we're here to support the changing of that game by offering a refined set of tools for how to wake up from, you know, you look at one of the chapters of my book, it's called Waking from the Has-Been. Interesting, I wrote that chapter 30-plus years ago before waking up was a, a, a derogatory term. But be aware that each one that uses a derogatory term is projecting the content of their own mind on whoever or whatever it is they're being derogatory about because the mind of love can't do that. But it's so prevalent, it seems like, well, of course, that's what... The, my, I, I listened to that preacher talk about love just the other day, and then he told me about how those people are going to go to hell and how we should help them get there. <laughs> what? So the practical application is where we live as human beings, and ultimately where literally our whole culture goes. And right now, our whole culture seems to have been given permission to step into the worst uh, characteristics of the non-human mind and bring them to fruition throughout the culture. Big tap on the shoulder, big wake-up call. And so that's what we're here to do is to provide those tools and to provide support and understanding for the use of those tools. What's the healing process look like? You know, Jeannie shared her healing crisis with us last week. And one of the comments she made yesterday, and I'm not sure, Jeannie, just how long you'd been dealing with the neck pain that you'd had. Probably five years, maybe longer. Yeah. And after this major healing crisis, which came out through her throat, a lot of trauma and throat, well, you know, a couple of days we didn't do the show because she didn't literally didn't have a voice. And my take is the fact that she's doing her work, that she stands in willingness, that she's vitalizing herself. When, when she hit that level of vitality, that energy that had been stored in the back of her neck that was, I mean, literally, she was going around the house pretty much most of the day with a TENS unit, with, with an electrical stimulator neck just to pain in her neck. Major. Well, that was a pretty traumatic healing crisis. That's, that's probably one of the strongest ones you've done yet, sweetie. 
hand. Comparative to the COVID. Yes, yes, comparable to COVID, yeah, for sure. And so that's what it takes. And when you realize that these are generationally installed patterns, through them and the energy that needs to be embraced in healing. And I'm talking about this to inspire you to willingness, to know that this is the process and this can be done. That whatever, based in any form of generational hostility or fear, whether it's you, uh, parental, grandparents, you know, two generations, ten generations, fifty generations ago, When you can embrace those energetic patterns in your own physiology, it is not going to be Dr. Feelgood to feel them. But you don't have to carry them around as a a string hung around your neck. You get to face them and throw them off and get finished with them. Elsewise, those energetic patterns are literally, physiologically, the very things that kill us. They're the things death are made of. You go back to those ancient texts, and they knew exactly how the energy system works. They said, with man, death began. We weren't designed to die. We made the process up. And it's so deeply instilled in people's minds and habits of the systems that they can't imagine a life without those energetic patterns. Again, you look at that scripture text. Over 300 times it says some variation with the words, but basically says, fear not. And yet, the leaders in churchianity will stand up there and say, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, it's interesting, if you read the texts around that, they'll say, well, but it doesn't really mean fear there. It means, well, why are you saying something that you don't mean? Because you're saying exactly what you mean. You know that the way to keep people under the thumb is through fear. And so you use fear to instill that in them. If you actually meant awe, you know what you'd say, preacher? You'd say awe for the creator is the beginning of wisdom. You wouldn't say fear of. And then when somebody confronts you, change your definition. That's just pure connery. That's just pure fakeism. When do we wake up from the has-been, from the past, from the generational patterns? And when do we choose, as Michael was talking about, to put our attention on ourselves and others, especially the people called the enemy? When do we put our attention on them and understand that they are, as we are, the presence of love? When do we wake up? When do we claim the truth about who we are as human beings? And when do we stop living out every song that was written by the previous generations? When do we give up those family traditions? family tradition we need to develop is the ability to stand as the space of conscious, active, present love for our children, for the worst offenders of the world. Well, Michael, does that mean I just let everybody get away with everything? No, I didn't say that. 
class was, it sounds like tall. One of my mentors was a Superior Court judge in Albany, Georgia, Judge Asa D. Kelly. He was about the closest thing to a saint I've ever seen or met. Being a Superior Court judge in Albany, Georgia, and Albany has been called a part, a body part lower than the armpit of Georgia. That's some pretty heavy-duty stuff back down in those backwoods. Judge Kelly would sit in judgment on people who committed absolutely heinous, blood-chilling crimes. And he'd say, love you like a brother. But you know what? And this is literally what he used to say. He'd say, the community took up a collection and built a building with bars around it, and then they hired me to determine who's safe in the community and who's not. And if you're not safe in my community because I honor my community, I'm going to put you behind bars. And Kelly put thousands, probably tens of thousands over his tenure on the bench of people behind bars. But he never punished one of them. And one of the reasons that I have this course now called Laws of Living is because just Kelly asked for it for the prison system, for the rehabilitation, for the healing of prisoners. That's where Laws of Living came from. We cut recidivism in some pretty heavy-duty prisons by over 90% by simply bringing the accurate words and the accurate teachings of Yeshua, especially about forgiveness, into the jails. And it didn't matter how heinous a crime the criminal created had done, Judge Kelly would invite him to laws of living and say, you want to you rehabilitate? You want to heal? Here you go. So what would the melody line be in your song as opposed to why do you drink, why do you blow smoke, why must you live out every song that you broke? What's your condition that needs to be faced that keeps you when faced with certain persons, certain situations, certain ideas, certain words, certain circumstances? What is it you need to face and wake up from? and not have you have it run you anymore. Can you maintain your human life, love, in the presence of someone you think has done heinous? Do you blame them for the fact that you can't maintain love? Well, if you do, you're in projection. The number one order of business is to maintain your human life. And that doesn't depend on what anybody else does. But if the, if the challenge, if the family tradition is blame, which is just about universal, it's time to give up the blame game. Why is your mind in the condition it's in right now? Because it has that condition in it. It's not in that condition because... Bill or Harry or Mary or Hortense did or said something. It's in that condition because that condition's in it. And your challenge, should you choose to accept it, is to work through those conditions that are based in all sorts of hostility and fear. So that's our objective. Any thoughts for you on that, Jeannie, and how that relates to what you read? 
I think it's right on. So we have 27 minutes. Somebody press one. Let's have some conversation. If you're on another station, our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press one. We've had some awesome conversations the last few days with, um, uh, we had Peter from Sweden. We had Ron from, where's he, Boston? Massachusetts, yeah. Yeah. So what's going on for you? Let's direct the rest of the show. Ask your question or make your comment. So if you're out there in Nisserland, how can we support you? What's on your mind? What question, you know, if if, uh, if you just listened to what I said the last half hour or so, what, what came up for you in listening to that? Is there anything that needs refinement, anything that needs clarifying, anything that doesn't make sense? Or anything that does make sense that you'd like to get a deeper insight into? I'll just say um, we also, on June the 1st, Michael, um, they they watched uh, Introduction and Advanced Understanding to A Course in Miracles in the Global Book Club. And then they had an hour of questions and answers, which tomorrow we have some family things scheduled, and so we're going to be playing that hour of questions and answers. But the entire... Uh, your noise, Michael. <laughs> the entire um, three hours is now on the website. You can go to Global Book Club and then click underneath that, A Course in Miracles. And you can watch the whole three hours. And it was awesome. Had good it's on our YouTube channel too, isn't it? It is. So if you just go to YouTube and type in Michael Rice, our YCE, and you'll open our YouTube channel. And this is actually a video that until... Just a couple of days ago, or yesterday it was, that we did this um, this Global Book Club. That video has been part of our video catalog. It cost $40 to buy it. And uh, actually, since we got streaming, it went down to 20 But now you can get it free. Just go to our YouTube exactly. channel, and it's there, along with questions and answers from several people. Say it again, sweetie. It wasn't yesterday. It was June the 1st, last oh, Thursday. June 1st. Okay. Yes, a couple of days ago. So you can grab that and uh, give it a listen. It's a synthesis of, I'm not even sure now, 100 and some different references in A Course in Miracles. It just assembles it in a way that, you know, <clears throat> the way I explain it and the reason I created that lesson is because I've been I probably created it six or so, seven years after I started working with A Course in Miracles. And I'd talk to people. You know, I was in Fort, Fort Lauderdale at that point, so a lot of people came through. You know, people would come from all over the country and all over the world and end up at the Course in Miracles session. And I'd see people that just like, oh, yeah, I've been working with Course for 15 years. And, okay, so how do you forgive? Oh, well, you know, you, uh, you, know, you just forgive. I said, no, no, how do you actually do it? The Course tells you exactly how to do it. Do you know how to do that? Uh, well, yeah, 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 you just, I do it all the time. What is it you do? Well, you know, I just forgive. And what I realized is that the Course is like a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. And nobody's got the box stop. You know, I mean, 
40 plus years of working with a course, and I've spoken to Course of Miracles groups all over the country, all over the world. And I've never met one person working with a Course in Miracles that knows how forgiveness works. I mean, not at one. Teachers and experts, not one. So I created that lesson as a synthesis, as I say, of I don't remember how many now. I think 100 and I'm not even sure, 130 or so different lessons that gives you a box top that you can put all the pieces in if you're working with the course. Here's how you make sense of it. Give it a listen if you'd like. And of course, if that arouses questions for you, then we're here with the show to continue that conversation and answer those questions. And by the way, if this work is supporting you, when I think about, you know, this is a video that's always been something that's been in our catalog and charged for many of the things that were in our catalog we've done on the show over the years and given them away. If this is supporting you, I would really appreciate it, you know, since we're not on the road anymore. Or that's cut like a big axe into our cash flow. And if the work that we're doing supports you, this radio show supports you, our YouTube channel, our, you know, our web pages, 20,000 pages, all this stuff doesn't get done for free. When we traveled, we would do it for nothing. We'd do the workshops, we travel, we paid our own expenses. But that wasn't because we were independently wealthy. That was because we were committed to giving it away and people would donate to support it and keep it moving. And that's the only thing that keeps it moving now. So if this is fitting for you, if this is making sense, if it's supporting you, then I invite you to jump on the website. Again, our website is whyagain.org, whyagain.org. Here's the donate button. If it fits for you, if you're in a position to, and people say, well, how much should I donate? Well, whatever fits. How's it supporting you? Is it worth millions? Great. Do you have millions? And donate it. Oh, you don't have millions? Okay, well, if you got a dollar, then donate it. You know, I mean, put something back in as support. You know, things have, you know, rather frankly, gotten thin since we stopped traveling in terms of cash flow and keeping, you know, we, we have Heartland. It hasn't opened because of COVID and going on four years now, but the expenses still go on. You know, the taxes still go on. The electric bill has to be paid, et cetera, et cetera. So if it's supporting you, please jump on and hit the donate button. Beyond that, the other way you can support us is by passing it on. Or if there's any kind of uh, skill that you have that could assist us. Got a skill with AI, got a skill with uh, writing, got a skill with might help move this farther across, across the planet, then jump on board. You know, we could use some support at Heartland and you know, it's been vacant for four years. Last year we were there, and I was very pleasantly surprised how great a shape everything was still in, but we could use some support from an electrician or two, a carpenter or two. Oh, if you've got a skill you could offer, that'd be awesome. Please jump in. We could use all the help we can get. And or if you've got somewhere you'd like us to present, you know, we're not traveling these days. We've got a granddaughter that's four and that's a uh, prime motivator in our world and in our lives so we're not moving around the country and around the globe the way we used to but we can move around the country and around the globe via zoom 
as we're doing with this uh, Global Book Club. We started a second study with them, The Course in Miracles. And, you know, we've uh, done the Why uh, book with them for mm, a little better than a year now. So what's on your mind? Again, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening to the show. And then if you have a question, push 1, and through the magic of technology, that raises a hand. And, and Jean will I'm introduce you. Sure. <laughs> there are three hands that are still up from uh, Dr. Tim's show, and they all just flickered just a second ago, so I'm not sure which one just hit the, for a second round of questions, but I'm going to try each one one at a time until we fit, find out which one. So, Audrey, was it you that repressed one again? Yeah, it's possibly uh, me because I was unsure of what I should be doing. <laughs> I'm confused. Well, that's, uh, yes. My question, okay, I have, um, Michael, of course I have your book. And when um, the chapter um, inherited patterns, and right. um, I'm going to read this, but I'm really reading it to myself. What you okay. don't deal with, what you don't deal with, will be passed on. What you are willing to face, sort out, and heal will no longer infect family dynamics. The pattern then stops with you. The first time I read it, they were words. And as my level of awareness expands, I'm realizing, wow. And I did the work on the support group this past Thursday. uh, I did the worksheet. And then in your book here, here, um, uh, I put on my margin where it says, what is learning? And the key thought is what change? Start with the part you control, yourself. And then right. on my margin, I put inner work. Now, when I was doing the worksheet, um, I was, and I'm still unclear, between feelings and emotions. Could you clarify that? And then with the wheel, sure. um, and the wheel, uh, I don't know which is feelings and emotions. Could you go slowly with it? And I'll listen to it. Uh, you could unmute me, and I will listen to it off air. Okay. Well, good questions. And, uh, you know, what I hear you describing is you've been hanging out with the work long enough to build the brain cells to go, oh, that's what that means. And that's what we're here to do. And oftentimes the words feelings and emotions are used interchangeably. I've been working toward clarifying that in this work. And I think in my book, I was still calling what I would today refer to as emotions. I was still calling them feelings. And and that's kind of a cultural thing. That's sort of what our cultural speaks of. Well, how are you feeling? Oh, angry, sad, what have you. But those things are really emotions. Feelings are sensations that we have going on in our structure. You know, I stubbed my toe. How is your toe feeling? It hurts. So that would be a sensation in the, in the body where an emotion would be the result of or the warning signal that the body serves up 
that a particular quality of mind energy is being brought into the structure. And when that, you know, what the cell biologists are telling is, well, well, let me back up further. If you look at the, go to the opening words in the book of John, where we're told it says, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. What that actually says in Aramaic was, in the beginning was the mind energy and the mind energy became flesh. So this, this is a, a statement that tells us that we're creators, that we're literally, on an ongoing basis, creating our physiology. Now, my take is that the creator put a warning signal in, and when we engaged in a piece of mind energy, literally, when that energy lands on the cell, it creates what we would call an emotion. It creates a warning signal as to whether or not this mind energy is, if it is, then when I think that thought, my emotions are going to be of joy and aliveness and lightness and being. And if they're destructive, then my emotions are going to be those of some form of hostility or fear. And that's my cellular structure warning me that my thinking, my mind energy is off base. And so now we go to the cell biologist. You can look up Bruce Lipton's work on, on YouTube. And what Bruce is showing is in the laboratory, when you think a thought, that thought becomes a molecule in your so-called body. Something that is of the non-physical realm, thinking, becomes what we call physical. In other words, it lowers in its rate of vibration. So, and I said this earlier, when Yesh was talking about, let thine eye be single. If we're focused on one piece of mind energy to the exclusion of all others, thy body will be filled with light. It's going to turn into what we call chemistry in your cell. As the mind energy is interfacing with the receptor site on the cell, it creates an emotion, a warning signal that just tells us whether our thinking is on base or off base. Warns us that we're off base, and that's where we want to apply forgiveness and restructure our thinking. Does that make sense, Audrey? Does that fit for where you're going with this? Yes, it does, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. And okay. Can Does you that hear me? clarify what and you needed clarified? Were there any other thoughts to go for? Yes, and I'm so glad that there is a replay that we could access because one of my, I'm going to call it weak areas, is that I am a slow learner. One of my strong points that I am persistent. And right. Um, I'm so grateful that I can go into the archive and I could replay it and I'm like a cow chewing its cud until I'm satisfied with my knowing it and I become it. And thank you. Yes, you have the Awesome. Well, we appreciate the fact that you can go in and do the archives too. That's something that I often think about with uh, Blog Talk Radio and how much I appreciate the technology that they've offered us that you can be where you are and we can be here in Virginia and they're up in New, New Jersey and somebody could be listening in China and we're having a conversation. And then, you know, as soon as the conversation's complete, people can go and download that conversation and send it to each other. I mean, to me, that's like, 
you know, if you look at what we've had in ages past, that's just such a monumental gift. And, you know, thank you to Blog Talk Radio that they make it available to us, you know, economically enough that we've been able to carry this show on for 12 years. You know, we don't we don't get paid to do this. We pay to do this show. <laughs> and thank you, Blog Talk Radio, for for offering us the technology at an affordable rate that we can continue to do this. And we've got a record that's going to last for eternity of all these conversations, you know, 12 years, five days a week, an hour a day. How cool is that? I think it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so thank you for appreciating it and thank you for supporting it. Thank you. All right. Blessings. Hey, you have a blessed one too. Lots of love. All right, Miss Jeannie, it looks like we're down to about, uh, oh, 11 or so minutes. So we've got time for at least one more good conversation. If there's anybody out there in listener land, push one. Let's talk about it. What's on your mind? How can we support you? What refinements are needed? And, you know, I really loved how Audrey basically, you know, if you go back and listen to Yeshua 2,000 years ago, he says his teaching is only for those who have, quote, the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And that's what Audrey just referred to. Now, our modern-day language, you know, I think we can fairly safely assume that most everybody in his audience have what we call physical eyes and ears. So he obviously wasn't saying that it was about the physical eyes and ears. What he was, in essence, saying was, you've got to have the brain cells. If the brain cells you're listening through don't match what I'm speaking, then you don't hear what I say. You only hear you're listening. If they do match then you don't hear what I say. You still hear your listening, but your listening's on track with my speaking. You know, we do a workshop called communication. Did you hear what I think I said? And most people are listening through such different brain cell structures that they don't hear the same things. And what we're looking to do is to help people to build the brain cells to be able to distinguish between what's being said and what the mind offers in keeping on track with what's really, truly intended. So, Ms. Jeannie, you've got a hand up for us? Dave, it's Miss Susan, area code 610. You're on the air. Welcome, young lady. Hey. Hey. Well, you sound joyful today. Oh, well, I'm having an interesting situation with Jacob, and I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, he and I have okay. been in long conversations, and often he gets into looping and he complains a lot about politics and goes into these tirades and things. But he began talking about how much Tim and I had hurt him when he was here, and we had to call the police and turn him out of the house. He, uh, he was, we were afraid for ourselves, for our physical and mental. Right. Okay. And we ended up calling the police, and he stayed in his car one night inside our house. He didn't go anywhere, but we said, until this settles down. And he was psychotic. It was really, I realized that was the wrong thing for us to do. Somehow there was a better way, and we didn't know it then. But he brought it up right. and he said, you made me homeless and I still haven't gotten over that. And at first I felt terribly triggered and I started to say, I got to get off the phone. I can't talk about this. 
Then I realized I'm going to try something. And I said, Jacob, we made a terrible mistake with you back then. We were scared and we didn't know how to handle the, the, how you were. We just didn't right. know what to do and we made bad choices. And I want to say I am so sorry that we don't have another chance that we did it that way. And there was this incredible silence. And then he said, thank you for saying that. And I thought, mm. okay, a chink in the armor. And then I said, I bet there are a lot of things that your parents have done and we've done that you just need to hear that we didn't do it right. You need an apology and another way of talking. And he said, I do. And I'm thinking about his father and how probably all that would he would need is to have his father say, well, his father does say, I'm sorry, or used to, but then he would repeat the the behavior that was so harsh. And so the apology didn't mean much, but my experience with Jacob hasn't been like that. Um, I've thank, thanks to the worksheets and continually holding a space of love for him and seeing him as whole and, and seeing his future as a good one and a bright one has helped so much. But this was like a moment when something turned. And, um, you know, sometimes it will be on the phone for two hours, late afternoons, and my daughter is too busy to have those conversations. Right. So I'm able to do that. And I just thought, where do we go from here now? I guess he'll show us where we can go. But um, it it just seems like a, a moment of grace that I was able to come off my trigger and actually try something different. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, at some point in the conversation, I can see where it might become appropriate having this as a reference point to invite him to look at going, you know, you've owned what you did and that you saw it was mistaken might be appropriate to get him to take a look at, well, Jacob, do you remember what you were doing before we called the police that day? Now I'm going to be responsible for my fear. And I was, I was afraid in that, but you triggered a lot Mm -hmm. of fear for me. Do you remember what those behaviors Mm -hmm. were? Do you think that was really appropriate? Maybe, maybe you could consider an apology in the other direction too. Might be a, a space that will open at some point. I I have Jeannie a feeling that's going to happen. Go ahead. No, no, please, you go ahead. I just think that's probably going to happen. I may be wrong, but he said something about. Well, I know that I was. I was doing some pretty crazy things. That's the closest he has come to it. But at the ends of our discussions, often when he's been on a rant, and I'll pick something out in the rant that I'll say, oh, I know what you mean. I just try to stay with him. The end of the rant, he'll say, sorry, I went on and on like that. And I said, Jacob, you are processing up the kazoo and out your ears. You're yeah. doing a tremendous amount of inner work, and I'm honored to be the recipient that's of it. That's powerful. That's that's huge. 
for you to be able to acknowledge that to him. I think that's awesome. I hope Suggestion. so. It seems like, yeah. Yesterday afternoon, Jeannie and I were going to the movies. We decided to take some time off. We we did a really long, we both are going around today with muscles we didn't know we had. We started really early in the morning and worked hard in the garden, shoveled and moved stuff. And I mean, it was a, a, a big garden day. So we decided to go treat ourselves for dinner and do a movie. And there was one one preview that I'd seen and I thought this particular movie was the one, but it turned out not to be. And we accidentally bought tickets for a movie titled About My Father. Oh, boy. I think that it would be really beneficial for you and Tim to go and see. And -hmm. it would really be awesome to invite Jacob to go and see it. And it's it's out there. It's out there. Robert De Niro Uh is the father. And basically, yeah, it's just in the theaters just for the last, I think, the last few days. And it's it's just really powerful. You know, he he talks about how, you know, his father was this young man, talks about his father was an immigrant and sacrificed to come over from Italy. And he talks about how things were in Italy and how much pain, how much trauma there was in Italy. And now they came over here and, you know, they're going to work hard to provide a better life for their children. And, you know, frankly, his father is kind of a, what, what word could I use? A cranky old fart that (laughs) <laughs> that is down on everything that's not him, you know? I mean, he's just, that's what he is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a marriage about to take place, and being the old-time Italian father, he's not going to give grandmother's ring to his son to to propose unless he meets the family. Oh, and they're, yeah. you know, kind of working-class stiffs, and the girl he's marrying, their family is, like, supremely wealthy with the house in the Hamptons and the, you know, the just, you know, supremely wealthy. And Mm. so in order to get the ring, he invites, you know, his father to come to a holiday weekend with them. And it's a tragic mess, you know, a mess. But then the young man through circumstances wakes up to what's really possible. And it's just a mm-hmm. powerful turnaround, just Beautiful. a powerful turnaround about acceptance, about recognizing, yeah, some crazy stuff. And underneath it all is the love. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful experiential message. And so we were yeah. really delighted that we accidentally bought tickets to that and we thought we were seeing a different movie. But it's really worth oh. seeing Seven, about seven my tickets. father. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. Serendipity. I wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, very much so. I know we're about to cut off, but I wanted to ask Jeannie. Jeannie, when you read, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I wonder if you could read just a little more slowly when okay. you're doing the Michael Singer. Uh, I'd be glad to. Because it goes by really fast, and I'm catching <laughs> okay. some of it, but not all. <laughs> Okay, I'll do that. I'll consciously slow down. Cool. Oh, thank you so much. 
And if you do go to see that movie, let me know what you think and uh, and let me know what uh, Jacob's responsive is he chooses to pick up and do it too. I think it'll be All a right. life changer for him. It'll be a life oh, changer. Oh, boy. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Cool. All right, young lady, we appreciate you. Everybody, thanks for joining us. And the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 